everyone, I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit The Woman Behind the Smile and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making, we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. And everything that happens to us helps us grow. But while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you are ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. Well, happy Thursday, everybody. It's a beautiful day down in South Florida. We are having a cold front, and I think it's going to be a high of 69 today. So my people friends up in New York are laughing at us thinking you guys should be out swimming today and we actually might because the water's about 90 degrees. But anyway, I have a very special guest today who's coming to me from up in New York and she's a friend of mine. We don't get to see each other very often except for Zoom and we, I feel like we're doing that all the time today. But I'd like to welcome my guest, Miss Sandra Noons. Are you there, my friend? Yes, I am, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me, and I am honored, and it's my pleasure to be here. Well, I'm really glad that you're here. I've seen you online a lot lately. You are really moving and shaking and doing some great things. And uh, I told you earlier, I like to do my homework on my guests before the show, just to kind of get a little feel for who you are, because I know that we all put up that pretty smile, and you know, we have this public persona, and people think they know who we are. But if you read our stories, you understand like we are regular people that have been through regular things in life, extraordinary things, and we just really want to be a friend to people. But I think we don't always get that opportunity because people are looking at us on stage or they're looking at us on Zoom and you know they, they see that part of us, but they don't see what I consider the real part of us. And I was mm-hmm. watching... I was watching a YouTube video of you this morning, and then I was reading your story, and I'm thinking, I love this woman. She, <laughs> she is so much like I am, and I think we all are so much alike. It's just we don't get to see that part of ourselves or that part of our friends. So yes. let me introduce you um, to folks on the show, because many don't know who you are. Um, Sandra Noons has a passion for people. She embodies kindness and support both in her professional and personal lives. To know her is to love and want more of her, and that is true. She has served across cultures for corporate customers as a concierge and in cultivating personal growth. She has a dynamic background riddled with service and support. And as an entrepreneur, Sandra believes that as she helps you grow, she also grows. And that's with growingwithsandra.com. Well, that's just the tip of the iceberg for my friend, Sandra Noons. Can you tell us a little bit about where you're living right now, Sandra, and kind of, you know, how'd you start in life? 
Okay, awesome. Um, I li- currently live on Long Island in New York on the North Shore in Huntington, which I love. Um, I, I got here because about a couple of years before I moved here, I started biz- my business here, a different business from Growing with Santa Concierge Lifestyle. And uh, I loved the area. I loved the town. I loved the people. Um, it's kind of like a, it's a village feel to it, but it also feels like little Manhattan with all the little the great restaurants and uh, shops and boutiques and things like that in the village. And the people are just so warm and welcoming. And I just loved it. And I said, I'm going to live here one day. <laughs> and two years later, here I am. So put it out there because you never know. Um, well, and that's where I am right now. Okay, so let's go, let's go back in time. This is what I love about Stand Up and Speak Up and about learning about my, my guests and my friends is who were you before you became the Sandra Noons that we know? Um, and so we're going to go back a little bit. You were uh, one of multiple children in your family. Where mm-hmm. were you in the pecking pecking order? There were six of us, and I was the third oldest. But I also used to say that I was in, I was the middle child because mm-hmm. my two older sisters were four and five years older than me, so I could never tell them what to do because they were older <laughs> than me. <laughs> my younger sister was the baby girl of the family, so I couldn't do anything to her. <laughs> and then my brothers, the boy, the first, the oldest boy, uh, they were younger than me too, but the oldest boy was the first boy in my mom's family. So he was king. And then the last boy was the baby of the family. So I was in the middle. <laughs> Man, you got dipped. <laughs> I did. <laughs> you were an island amongst yourself. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, it's interesting, though. I was reading something, something that you were saying, though. And, and as all of us were when we were young, you know, we loved our siblings, but we bickered. And we were, you know, trying to get that attention. So how did you find attention when you were that age? Oh, I just threw temper tantrums all the time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. We, uh, we were kind of a loud bunch, you know, and everybody wanted attention, so we were all kind of like always talking over each other and that kind of thing. But um, I don't think I, I really tried very hard because I always felt like everybody else was louder than me. Mm. So I kind of quieted myself down, put my head down, and just, you know, in the corner. Um, so I didn't really get much attention. That was part of my issue, I guess, growing up where um, things were different for me than I felt like my other, you know, than it was for my other siblings. And uh, uh, it wasn't until I was much, much older that I started to learn different. But um, yeah, it was, it was like that for me most of my life, kind of in the corner, not really saying anything. And, not, it, and interestingly enough, not standing up for myself when I should have mm-hmm. so many times. Mm-hmm. Was there something that you did really well that you really enjoyed as a child that st- you stood apart from them? Maybe dancing or... Yes, I, I, yes, I used to. I loved to dance. I remember, uh, especially around the holidays when the, the holiday music is playing, um, my sister and I, we would, my younger sister, we were closer in age to each other, so we were, you know, like best friends. Um, we used to play out the songs. Like if it was Winter Wonderland, we would be building the snowman, you know, 
and oh, calling fun. him Parson Brown and getting married and all that stuff. So we would kind of <laughs> dance and, and make this, choreograph this whole um, dance that went along with the song. So that was a lot of fun. So we used to do that. And, I, and to this day, as I got older, I, I did work at Arthur Murray's teaching ballroom dancing, and I love to dance. It's one of my favorite things uh, well, on, my, on my list. That's cool, because I really didn't know that about you. It just kind of came out. But that's uh-huh. neat. I can see you dancing around now. And uh, I, I, I always tease that I have, I have no Zumba in my blood, and my husband confirmed that the other day. He goes, you know, you really can't dance. I'm like, stop. <laughs> Don't tell me I can't. <laughs> and maybe I can't. But, you know, in your mind, you want to be able to do that. And who cares? You know, right. you get to the point where it's, who cares? I was dancing with my grandkids. They didn't care. They just wanted grandma right. bouncing around. Everybody can dance. Everybody can dance. You have a song in you, and you can dance to your own rhythm. That's all Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I can see you dancing. And right now I'm looking at a picture that I put up on, on my website of you, and you're standing in front of the water with your arms stretched out with just joy in your, you know, in your face. And I'm thinking, that's her dancing. She's dancing in front of the ocean. So that's cool. I really wanted to hear that part because that, you know, that's the inner part of us that sometimes we do hide too. As we get older, mm-hmm. you know, you hear the, you can't dance. So then you don't dance, yeah. you know, when sure. your spirit really wants to dance. Going forward through, through school and whatever, um, you ended up getting married. Did you marry early? Did I read that? No, 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 no. I didn't get married until I was 37. <gasps> there you go. Well, that could be early, comparatively speaking. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so up but, until uh, that where, point where then... All of my other friends and siblings were married. I was the only one that wasn't married yet, yeah. Well, and back then, I mean, I got married at yeah. almost, I was almost 26, and like, what's taking you so long? Yeah. Did you ever get any of that? Not, not really. No. Not really. I was, okay. I was busy doing things for myself. But, you know, I had a whole... Uh, goal of a career set up after I was in the military. I wanted to be a police officer and then um, move into um, and, and then be a detective and then move into forensic science and then become a lawyer. I had this whole plan uh, planned out. Things didn't work in my favor, but um, so my family knew that that was my goal and, and I just couldn't see myself getting married and trying to raise a family during all of that process. So Okay. Well, in first place, thank you so much for your service. You were in the Army for a few years. And um, how did that happen? I mean, how did you get into the Army? Well, as we mentioned before, I uh, come from a family of six children and two adults and one bathroom. So I oh. ran away and joined the circus. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I ran away and joined the Army. No, I didn't run away. But I, part of my plan was that I wanted to be a police officer. So I, was, I graduated high school at 17 years old, graduated the year early. I was too young to take any of the exams. So I decided, let me go into the military and get the experience. And the military would pay for my college. And then when I come out, I'll be old enough to take the exams and so on and so forth. So that's how that ended up happening. Well, and you were, you were in the service for four years, and then afterwards... How did, where did you go from there? Because you did end up in, in corporate, but before you got yeah. into corporate. Well, when I, after I got out of the military, um, I took all the exams that were available uh, for the police, police uh, department. And while I was waiting to be called, I had to work because I had to eat. So yeah. I got a job in, in, uh, in corporate and in customer service. 
And uh, when I did get called, finally, unfortunately, that was when the mayor of New York uh, put a freeze on hiring of police officers and fire, fire department personnel. Mm-hmm. So I continued working in corporate, and I found, actually, that I wanted to be a police officer because I wanted to help people. And also, I guess, because my father was a police officer, so I wanted to you know, aspire to, to what he, he did. And um, when I ended up in corporate for so long, I realized, wow, this is, this is helping people. I am working with people and helping them. I was in customer service in various different industries over the years, and I just continued in, in that industry because it gave me what I was looking for. I wanted to help people. So that's how I stayed in corporate. I was in corporate for many, many years um, before I left. I, I became like many, many people working 60, 70 hours a week, a pile of work on their desk, you know, above their head that they can't get through every day and uh, no reward or, you know, uh, acknowledgement at all except for a small little paycheck at the end of the week. And um, I would be working overtime and then I would go home and take care of home and, and whatever. And I had no time for me. I was giving all my time to everybody else and I had no time left for me. I pretty much ran myself ragged to the point that I ended up getting sick. Hmm. And life has an interesting way of teaching us lessons, and mine came in the form of cancer. Well, and, and you know, I was reading that part of your story earlier, and, and this goes, she, uh, Sandra is a contributing author in the book Grown Women Shit, and excuse me, shit means shift how I think. And that just came out uh, with our friend C. Simone Rivers, and probably several other women that might even be on this call. Um, when I read the part where it said you got the call that said you had cancer, at that moment I had the same feeling come over me when I got the call from my son Christopher when he called 10 years ago and said, Mom, Dad just died. Oh, wow. How did you feel, though? Where did you go from there? Because you could have hidden behind the rock at that point. So how did you get past that call? Interestingly enough, <clears throat> when I was told that, I was actually in the hospital when they told me that. I had had a horrible experience in the hospital, and this part's not in the book, but I had a horrible experience while in the hospital, and they were trying to figure out what was happening with me. And um, I started to feel like what, I would imagine some of our elderly people in some not-so-reputable nursing homes feel when they are laying in their soiled bed and they have nobody taking care of them, nobody helping them, nobody doing anything for them. And I felt so alone and so afraid. And I said, oh, my gosh, this must be what it is like. In those horror stories you hear about some of those nursing homes to those poor people, And the next day, when my doctor came into the room and told me that I was being transferred to another hospital because they found a mass in my abdomen, I started to cry. But when I cried, they weren't, it was like that went right over my head, and it wasn't tears of fear or sorrow. It was tears of happiness because I wanted to get out of that hospital that the fact that they were telling me that I had cancer just kind of like flew over my head and it was, it was no big deal because getting out of that hospital meant more to me. Hmm. 
it was the weirdest thing. When they finally did, I think because of that happening, it gave me an opportunity to realize what was really important and what really mattered. And for some reason, there was a some kind of door or wall that just shut, shut down in my brain and didn't allow me to have any fear of the cancer. And it said, okay, this is what it is. This is what you have. This is what's going to happen. And the doctors are just going to handle it. Let the doctors take care of the disease. And I was just going to go on and do whatever I had to do in my life. And that's how it happened. I think that was just a defense mechanism of mine built into me from young childhood, from what there were other traumas I didn't talk about in the book from when I was a child. And I think that was a defense mechanism that I built to protect myself from uh, those kinds of things. So in a way, it was great because it did help me to just not think about it. And death never came into my mind, not one single time. And you were pretty young. I was 47. 47. Yeah, that's, that's mm-hmm. young. I'm just I'm having this stupor of thought here because I'm just thinking, you know, a lot of people would say, well, you know, why me and go through that whole why me, which any of us could say that about anything that we've been through. Why me? So mm-hmm. you recognize that now it's time to slow down for a little bit. Did mm-hmm. you do that? Not enough. <laughs> okay. Not enough. Um, what I What I didn't change was before I had cancer, I was, I was a pretty negative person. I was, everything, the glass was half empty. I was always figuring out a way how we couldn't do something or why we couldn't do something rather than how can we do something. And I, I didn't really like myself <laughs> very much. I think that kind of lent to a lot of the stress that I was under. And, uh, you know, when you're walking around negative all the time and there's nothing that you look at that's positive in your life and you think everything's happening to you instead of, you know, just happening uh, and blaming everyone else for what's happening in your life and that your life sucks, it, it takes its toll, you know, on your, on your body. And after the first diagnosis of cancer, I was sitting in my girlfriend's kitchen and I said, about a year later, I said, I don't, I don't feel grateful for having survived cancer. And I don't understand why. People that go through what I went through wake up every morning and thank goodness I have another breath of air in my lungs and another day to live. And I was just not feeling it. And my girlfriend said, you need to read The Secret. Mm. And I didn't know what that was and I never heard of it. And I'm more of a visual audio person, so I did some research and found out it was a documentary film first and then a book. So I got the DVD and I started watching it. And it's all about the law of attraction and how like attracts like. But there's a lot of talk about gratitude in the film and practices that a lot of these different teachers of the law of attraction use as far as gratitude practices went. So I watched it and some of the things I was like, yeah, right. Okay, whatever. And then there were some things that made sense to me, and I started to practice some of those gratitude practices. And I found that the more I, I would be grateful for little things, right? Um, you know, grateful that I have a phone that I can talk to people with, grateful for uh, food on my table and little things, and grateful for my shoes that fit me well and support my feet and 
all those little things. And I started to find more and more things to be grateful for. And when I went, I kept watching the, the film over and over again. And so some of those things that I used to say, yeah, right, started to make sense to me. And I started to follow some of the other teachers in, in the film and reading all of their stuff and listening to audios and things like that. And it started me on my personal growth journey. It, it took a while, though, because I still um, believe that I, I wasn't really absorbing enough of it to change completely who I was. It was little, little steps here and there, you know, little bits by bits. And um, I was still under a lot of stress. And then I, and I was given my freedom for my 16-year corporate job that I thought I could rely on. I realized I couldn't rely on anything. Um, and that's when I started my first business. And it was, it was stressful. It was very stressful. And I liked what I was doing. I just needed to figure out a different way to do it. And the second call came. Well, before we go into that one, to transition from being freed from your corporate job, I've had that experience before, um, and started your own business, how did your family react and your friends? Because that's a big thing. We, we work with a lot of entrepreneurs now. We're, we're surrounded by a lot of our friends who are entrepreneurs. And, and we get some from blowback sometimes from our friends. So did you get any yeah. of that, any naysayers in your life? And if so, how did you deal with them? Um, yes, I had mostly from my husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, he supported me in a way that he helped me with some of the work in the business, but his his belief was, you have to get a job. You have to get a job. Mm-hmm. You need a job. I said, I said, well, why am I going to get a job? He says, well, because you need security. And I said, do you realize I just, lost my 16-year job, so how secure was that? Mm. (laughs) There was no security in that. And this is what I want to do. So I didn't get that kind of support that I needed, and and there was always the comments of, nobody's going to pay for that. Nobody's going to pay for that when they can do it themselves. Nobody's going to buy that. Explain to the audience what you were doing, because I thought it was really cool. Yeah, it's a concierge service, concierge lifestyle, and I worked with, busy professionals and individuals to relieve them of some of the tasks on their to-do list so that we could create time for them to do the things that were most important to them. So that could be family time. It could be stay at the ball with the girls or out on the golf course with the guys. Whatever it was they wanted to do, they now would have time because I was taking off um, tasks off their to-do list and having it taken care of so that they wouldn't have to spend time doing that. Now, you weren't and doing all that work yourself. Were you hiring other people to work for you? In the beginning, I was doing that all myself. Okay. That, the, the, the stress, right? I was mm-hmm. cleaning the house, walking the dog, picking up the dry cleaning, doing the grocery shopping, going to the Department of Motor Vehicle. I was doing whatever the tasks were. And then that's when I realized I needed to change my business model because that was the second calling of I have cancer again. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh, okay, I have to do things different. And then I started to partner with the housekeeping company, the pet care company, the dry cleaner that picked up and delivered. And I make arrangements for my clients, which now became members, to have their tasks done. And I vet all of the vendors who I have come on board uh, to provide the services. 
So now I'm really a personal concierge uh, liaison between the two and making all those arrangements for my clients. And, One is and perfect. That. You you pivoted. You and that's the word the the word of the year. But you you were flexible enough to see that you couldn't do it yourself, mm-hmm. even though you probably wanted to. You said, you know, I'm Superwoman. I can do all this. But we just can't. We just can't. Right. And that's right. when you know you bring in other people and 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 delegate and use your expertise and you know someone that really loves to clean homes, let them do that. You know. Exactly. And and it's funny because you'll say that. The naysayers will say, "Wow, people aren't going to pay for that." Well, I'm married to a wonderful man who has a great living, and he's like, "Deb, I will never paint a wall. I will never do such and such." He goes, "I work hard enough that I can hire someone to do that." And I'm because I'm thinking, well, "I can paint walls. I can do this." And I'm like, "That's so true. There are people out there that love to paint walls. Let them paint the wall. Let's you know help out the economy." And I loved how you did that because. There are people out there that will pay for just about anything that they don't want to do, you know, and they'll find, they'll prioritize their funds to be able to do that. So kudos kudos for you. But then your body said, "Mm, too much. Right, exactly. And uh, that was really when change started happening for me uh, the second time. And again, um, the thought of death never came to my mind. The second time I was shocked. Because the doctors didn't tell me that this was the type of cancer that will come back. Were you I feeling sick at all? Did you ever feel sick? During treatment, I did not um, feel sick. The first time was very, very difficult because I had, my lung was filling with fluid, so I had to, chest, had to have a chest tube mm. put in. So I was in a lot of pain. So I, I had tubes everywhere. That's why when... The first hospital I had a bad experience and I felt helpless because I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. Mm. I couldn't do anything because I was hooked up to all these machines. So, um, the sec- and, and the first and second time throughout the chemo, the only, I lost my hair both times. Mm. Um, and the second time wasn't as, as traumatizing because, of course, you know, I had already gone through it and I knew what to expect even though the doctors told me that was going to happen and I thought I was ready for it. When it happened, it was like, whoa, okay. Mm-hmm. But I got over that quickly and it was fine because I knew it was going to grow back. But I was fortunate enough that I didn't have any of the other things during chemo like losing weight, fatigue, um, you know, vomiting and all of those other terrible things that come through that. But I did have a lot of pain uh, the first time because of the chest tube. And I was on a lot of pain medications and things like that. And the second time, it, I didn't have that issue, so I didn't have that pain. But I, the, the chemo was more difficult to go through as far as the pain with the infusions because I was running out of veins. I, didn't, I decided not to get a port. Mm-hmm. And by the end, they had to put the last one in a vein in my pinky. And that was excruciating. Mm-hmm. I was, it, it hurt. So bad. I, and then I really kicked myself for not getting a port because it was so excruciating. That was the most difficult part was just the treatment itself because uh, it was three days in a row um, uh, uh, every three weeks. But before you so, got the second diagnosis, uh, I know a lot of us get so busy we don't take care of ourselves and don't go to the doctor. Was there any indication that the cancer had come back? Did you feel anything that would get mm-hmm. you into the doctor? 
when it finally did come back, yeah, but not prior to that. So I was talking with my brother and walking up a small little hill. And when I got to the top of the hill, I had to stop talking and take a breath because I didn't didn't feel like I was getting air. And there was a little voice in the back of my head that said, no, no, it can't be again. And that was on a Memorial Day week and I was upstate. So as soon as I came back home, I went straight to my pulmonologist and he did the test and he put a needle, a big long needle, Mm. through my ribs, into my lung and extracted the liquid. And when he looked at it, he looked at me. That's all we, he didn't even have to say anything. Okay. But I went into his office, sat there, and I could just tell by the look on his face. He felt so bad that he had to tell me, that the cancer was back. Oh. So then I had gone back to the chemo doctor. I mean, the uh, oncologist. Okay. Well, that's if Out of this, though, because you turned your story around and said cancer saved your life. Most people are going, oh, my gosh, where how could she get to that point from here? But explain to us why you feel cancer actually saved your life. What happened now? If it wasn't for cancer happening twice, I wouldn't have look to change how I felt about who I was. I would have continued down that dark, you know, downward spiral, as I mentioned in the book, um, of negativity and just being miserable in my life and blaming everybody else for my life. And, And cancer helped me to find out and understand that I have a choice in my life to choose how I want my life to be. And I didn't feel that way before. I felt trapped. I felt stuck. I felt like I had no choice, no power to do anything to change my life. And I stayed in my marriage longer than I should have because I felt I had no power and no choice. I stayed in that stressful job because I felt like I had no power, no choice. And I was afraid to leave because I thought, you know, Who's going to hire me at this age? And even if they did, I'm going to have to start at the bottom. And do I really want to do that? And, you know, this, I, at least I know what to expect here, but I don't know what's going to happen there. So I can't leave. I, I have to stay here because what if I don't get a job and I don't make money to support myself? And I have to stay in this relationship because I don't know if I can make it on my own and be independent and... I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, I'm, I don't want to be homeless. And so all of these things were going through my mind about, you know, I don't have the power to do anything to change my circumstances. And in the, after cancer and starting down this, this personal growth journey, as I, as I refer to it, and discovering that there is another way to be, I was like, wow, well, there is more to life than this. I can, I can choose to not do something because I can believe that I, I, I have the power to believe that I can do whatever I want and be whatever I want and have whatever I want. Wow, that's insane, but I like it. <laughs> so <laughs> that, 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 especially after the second time having cancer is when I realized, oh boy, yeah, I really need to look into more of this and really research a lot more of this and see if, this is something that I can do. And, and it's interesting because I remember when I was a small little child, I wanted something. I don't remember what it was I wanted. And I prayed to God because that's what I knew, right, God. Um, 
we weren't very religious. We didn't go to church. I was probably the only one out of my family that did because I went with a friend and her family because I liked it. And I prayed to God. And I said, God, please, please, please give me this. I promise. I promise. I'll, I'll be a good girl and I'll pray every day. And, you know, I made all these promises and, and, I, and I asked for whatever the thing was that I wanted. And I got the thing. <laughs> I was like, wow, it works. But I didn't, of course, you know, pray all the time like I promised I would. <laughs> but I, was, I don't know. I might have been like six or seven or something like that. But I always thought in my head, back then even, there's got to be more to life than this. Now, I didn't know what that meant really, but I, I always knew I, life can't be like this. My family, my family was, we were kind of a little, we were kind of dysfunctional. We didn't really you know, support and encourage one another. It was, it was not nice. Um, and I just felt like I was always being picked on, but I think it was more like they just didn't understand me. They just didn't get me. I, I was so different from them and the way I was thinking that they just didn't get me. Um, and, and I always wondered, there's got to be a different way to live because I would see my friend and her family that I used to go to church with and how her siblings uh, treated each other and her parents treated each other and her parents treated the children so loving and, and warm and respectful and um, supporting and everything. And I was like, yeah, there definitely has to be another way. So that always kind of stuck with me. And when I went through cancer the second time, I realized, okay, this is a wake-up call, Sandra. This is, this is the answer to your question. Is there another way? So you have to find it. And then I started to look for it. And I found it. And I found my power. And now I know that I am somebody that matters. I am worth I am worthy and I have the power to choose to create my life that I want and that I deserve. Because I'm no different than anybody else and I deserve everything that I want. No one's better, no one's less than me. I am me. Well and I'm sitting here doing the Wonder Woman, Superwoman, woohoo, you know, what you're doing from the beach because I love it. You know, it's all about standing up, speaking up if you need to, and getting back mm-hmm. into that power. And, and I read here that you said that you finally got it. The stories we tell ourselves and others shapes our lives. Mm-hmm. We all have stories we tell ourselves at different points in our lives, and sometimes it's to keep us safe from harm. Other times it can cause us more harm than we know. And you said all of your stories you've been telling yourself were hurting you. The family was judgmental. They didn't approve of me. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, you know, I'm too old for this, blah, blah, all those blah, blah, blah things that we hear. Yes. It is so true. You know, and, and I struggle with that too. There are times when I'm thinking, oh, you know, I can't get over this because so-and-so is thinking that. I can't go sit there because I don't want to sit beside that person because she thinks that I'm, you know, I've done such and such. And I'm thinking, why am I doing that? Why am I thinking that? And, and honestly, what other people think of us doesn't matter, and it's easy to say that now, but mm-hmm. it truly doesn't because most of the time, what we think they're thinking about us, they don't even think that. That is you know? so true. They're not, they're I, not, like I have my, my former mother, my just late mother-in-law, she was so funny. She would hold a grudge for 30 years. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. you know what, that grudge you're holding, I bet that person doesn't even know that you've got that grudge going. It's on your side. Yeah. It's a one-sided grudge. Ruined Absolutely. her life. 
ruined her life. Absolutely. I was talking to my husband, and, and he remembers something that his dad did. His father passed away about five years ago, and his dad was really close to his one man when they were younger. Well, they had it out about something, and they didn't talk for the rest of their lives. And when the other man passed away, CJ's dad really regretted that they never patched it up. So one thing, one, one of the one things that he regretted is that he didn't take the, the higher road and go and either apologize or whatever you need to do to say, you know what, our friendship was more important than whatever kept us apart. And yeah. I know we do that, and it's not until something happens that you know, somebody gets sick or somebody passes away that you're thinking, oh, goodness, life is too short for this. You know? Yes. And so you made, a, you made a great change, and I loved how you put that, that you decided, and here it's all about choice. It's all mm-hmm. about choice, personal choice, that you're going to come from a place of love, compassion, and positivity for yourself first, and then everybody else. Right. So how have you transitioned? Because you, you're doing more than just your concierge business now. You've got a whole new movement, Grow with Sandra. <laughs> Explain that yeah, to us, yeah. please. How did you get to that sure. part in your life? Uh, that was an interesting, it just developed organically. It was just, it was, it was interesting how that happened because uh, working with my clients with Concierge Lifestyle, I had to get very close, you know, up close and personal with them and be in their life, you know, because I was the one that was reminding them, it's your anniversary, what are you going <laughs> to do for your husband's birthday or your child, whatever. And just, I knew everything about them a lot more and sometimes a lot more than I really wanted to know <laughs> um, or needed to know. Um, and when I saw them with all this free time now, it was interesting. I realized, and, and they still weren't happy with all the free time they had. I realized, hmm, they, they're not, they're, it wasn't the time. The time is not the problem. It's, it's whatever they're feeling unhappy about. And it was interesting because they all thought that the concierge service was a great idea and how did I come up with it and what, what inspired me to, to start the business. So I started to share with them the same story I shared with you about having had cancer because when I, when I lost my corporate job, I knew I had to do something to help people um, to not have to go through what I went through and that's how concierge lifestyle came about. And I shared that story with them, and they said, but how did you get through? Same question you asked me. How did you get through and come out better on the other side of cancer? And I would share that with them, and I shared the tools and strategies that I learned through my personal growth journey with them. And then I started, and they started practicing them. And I noticed that they started changing, and things were different about their attitude, and they started to be happy and really enjoying the time that they now had. And I realized... I've been doing this all along. I've been teaching this all along. And so why can't I just put this together into a course that anybody can, can take and learn how to get their power back? Really, what, I, what, what I'd love to do is to remind people that they have power. We forgot. Mm-hmm. We have forgotten that we were born with the power to choose. As we got older... And we started listening, like you said, to those outside voices, right? All the naysayers or whatever those stories were that we were being told about ourselves. And then the stories that we were making up about ourselves changed the course of our lives because we started listening to them. 
and believing them instead of choosing staying within our power and standing within our power and choosing the story we wanted to tell ourselves about how we want it to be. And that was what led me to creating Growing with Sandra because I want to be able to share that with everybody and remind everybody that every single solitary person on the face of this earth has the power to choose, no matter what they've been brought up to believe, they have the power to choose to create their own life the way they want it to be. And to remember that things in life happen for us and not to us. Correct. Exactly. exactly. And I've heard, I've heard that throughout what you were saying because if we could get into the why me, woe is me, you know, uh, in, in my case, the victim mentality, which will hold you back. Absolutely. And, and that's what happened to me. It held me back. Exactly kept you in that I dark happened. place. Mm-hmm. Downward spiral. And then the law of attraction, dark attracts dark, and you look who you're surrounding yourself with. And when the voice is on the outside, well, actually, when the voice on the inside becomes louder than the voices on the outside, that's when you know you've mastered your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And that's one from one of the teachers, um, I can't think of his name right now, from The Secret. He was told that he, he was not going to amount to anything. He might as well be put in a, in a, in a home. And, you know, he was diagnosed with, uh, labeled with H, a, a, ADHD, ADD, all those, all those disorders, and that he was never going to be able to learn past the, I don't know, fourth grade or something like that it was. And now he, he's a doctor of psychology, and mm. he has a PhD, and, and all of that stuff. And, uh, yeah, so be careful what you choose to believe in. And, and someone asked me one time, I think a week or two ago, I was talking with a business coach, and he says, what's the worst that's going to happen if you do ABC? Because mm-hmm. I, was, I was resisting something. He goes, what's the worst that's going to happen if you do that? And I'm thinking, well, I don't know. He goes, tell me, think about it. What's the worst thing? So I think if we look at things in life, like, what is the worst thing that's going to happen if you leave your corporate job? And many, there are, you know, a lot of corporate jobs are leaving you right now. Like you said, they let, they free you. Um, mm-hmm. What's the worst going to happen if you, you know, take a jump and start something new or, or start an all, your own company? What's the worst that's going to happen? And you could look at the worst case and then say, so is that going to kill me? You know, is that, how is that going to hold me back? What's the worst that not being positive is going to do for me? Well, it's going to keep you in a dark place. It's going to, you know, there are so many things. It's just a matter of jumping. And I, I, I remember uh, the, the greatest thing that I did after, after Lou passed away was the, a year later when my daughter Jenny and I decided to go skydiving. And we, we jumped out of that perfectly good airplane at 10,000 feet. And <laughs> exhilarating, scary, but what a liberating, exciting, bonding experience with my daughter. And I, I awesome. really say everybody needs to do it at least once in their life. I've done it twice now. I don't know that I have to do it a third time. But um, to, to just go for it and feel, you know, 5,000 feet, you're falling, free-falling, and you're, I mean, I've seen pictures, and the skin is just in the back of your face. But when the parachute pops and you're floating, the world looked fabulous. And I was mm-hmm. just thinking, you know, we, we fly through life so fast and not, uh, you know, not absorbing anything, not appreciating anything. And then we, something happens and it, 
you know, we pull our parachute, we have that call, and it slows us down, and that's when the appreciation of, wow, but this really is a pretty country that we're living around, or, you know, the shoes on my feet fit today. It's the little appreciation that is so important, but you might not have appreciated it if you didn't jump, mm. if you didn't make that choice to do something. What other people thought, even pilot friends of mine thought it was outrageous that we were skydiving, but... It was just something that was extraordinary, and it has led me to, you know, to do things crazy, like, I mean, not crazy, but fun, like um, right. parasailing. And, normally, yeah. Yeah, those putting this, being yeah. comfortable, being uncomfortable. Right. And right. it takes us a long time sometimes to get to that point. I, I believe that some of the younger folks do that easier than we do. My, my youngest son, well, he does we stuff on like, we, right. well, Think exactly. It. When we were younger, we did it too. Probably so. Because and we didn't have as much fear as we do now or maybe understanding of how dangerous something might be. <laughs> or responsibility, really responsibilities, exactly. too. We're thinking, exactly. A lot of we things got, have to do with it. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. true. Yeah. But now that we're getting older, you know, that right. MDS right. syndrome is pretty fun. And you think, well, yeah. except for the insurance company <laughs> who doesn't want me jumping out of airplanes. Um, <laughs> We, we could do stuff. So getting back to real life and what you're doing now, because I, I read somewhere, and you're putting it out there too, that about what is it, 80% of people that make a resolution the first of the year by now have already bagged it. Yes. Right? So our goals. Yes. What, first off, what's the reason we're making those resolutions? Is it to make ourselves feel better? You know, is it the understanding that, well, you have to make a resolution? And why aren't we sticking to them? I think it's about a combination of, it could be a combination of both of those reasons, just because it's time to make a resolution or it's, it's really something that you want to do. Um, and I think a lot of it too is that as humans, we feel like we have to, success is measured in, in accomplishments um, and, and, and money and things like that and what you have and what you do. Um, so I, a, a lot, it, it, there's a lot of reasons why people set goals and resolutions. Um, the important thing to remember is if it's something that you really want to do and you really want to accomplish, then do it. It doesn't matter the reason behind it. Um, what's the level of, of desire that you have behind wanting to, you know, ch uh, achieve that goal or create a new habit and do something different than what you've been doing before? How to make those habits stick is the probably the the hard the most difficult part of of setting a new goal and 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 creating a new habit. And most of the time, people don't don't think that they have to have some kind of system or plan in place to to necessarily get it done. And when I mean by a system, I mean really tiny little. I'm just gonna. I'm going to go to the gym this year. That's my goal. I'm going to go to the gym five days a week, and I'm going to go do an hour of spin class twice a week. And you go to the gym, you do an hour of spin class, you come home, and your muscles are killing you the next day. So there's no way you're <laughs> going to go back to the gym and do 60 minutes of spin class again. So guess what? You stop because you think it's impossible. You start telling yourself the story, and you start talking yourself right out of accomplishing that goal or accomplishing that, you know, uh, creating that new habit that you want to get into. So it's the systems most times that people use 
to try to achieve their goals or create new habits that is not working. So instead of concentrating on the outcome, the goal, the new ha- you know, the outcome of the new habit, they need to concentrate on the system that they're using to create that new habit. Which is step-by-step, little bite-sized, don't, don't eat the elephant at one bite, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And, and there's all kinds of different techniques and methods out there that you can use to do that. Um, you have to just, you know, figure out what the, the right one is for you um, and, and then implement it. And if it's not working, then look for another one. Just don't give up completely. Just look for another one. Now you are... one out there that works. Right. You're hosting a master class on this coming up soon. Is that correct? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. And how, yes. people, how pe- people can register for it if they'd like to, to join? I'd love to, sure. I am hosting a master class, which is 90 minutes, on February 1st, this coming Monday, at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And what exactly we're going to be talking about is what happens when a habit isn't sticking. And it's how to create sticky habits for lasting change, um, so we'll talk, I have three strategies I want to talk about, and that's finding those hidden patterns and thoughts and beliefs that trick you into the habits of procrastination, feeling stuck and unclear, first of all, because that's where you end up stopping in three weeks into the year, four weeks into the year, uh, the new habits. And then I'll be talking about a blueprint of um, a way you can design your system for success that works for you, which is what I mentioned before, and then how to really integrate that into your life so that it, it becomes a day-to-day regular thing, and that's how it ends up being a lasting change. So that would be uh, they can go to register for the class. They can go to growingwithsandra.com forward slash master. M-A-S-T-E-R, growingwithsandra.com forward slash master. They can register there for the class. It's a two-step process, so they have to make sure they do the second step. Otherwise, they won't get the emails uh, for the class to uh, log in on Zoom. We're doing it on Zoom. Okay, great. So growingwithsandra.com forward slash master for the class on February 1st. And then your book, you're part of the book called Grown Women Shit, Shift How I Think, and that's, I believe, on Amazon. Actually, um, or not. yes, the version, that's, the version that's on Amazon um, is the same, it's the same version. I have copies that actually are a limited edition. It has um, my, my picture on the front and my name on the front of the book. Ooh, how do we and, get a hold of that? And, yes, I'm offering that um, with a personal autograph, a personalized autograph, and a one-on-one uh, bonus session with me um, along with purchasing of the book. And they can purchase that at growingwithsandra.com forward slash about dash Sandra. That's terrific. I was sitting here reading, um, I have the Kindle version, and I was reading it on my phone going, I don't like this. I like having that book in my hands, you know, and being able to highlight, because I actually printed some screenshots and then printed them off on my, on my computer, and um, I've got these, 
like eight and a half by eleven, but it's like huge writing and it's all yellowed and you know highlighted in yellow. That's the way I learn is by reading and and highlighting and printing and whatever. So I really right. I I like that. So yeah, I'm gonna go after that one. Yeah, I but, I agree. I I got the books, um, the physical books, a, a few days ago, and um, I hadn't read the chapter since I read it on the Kindle version when it was launched. And when I got the book in my hand, I sat on the couch and I started turning pages. I was like, oh my gosh, this feels so great. And I opened it up to my chapter and I reread my chapter again. And I was like, wow, it's a book. <laughs> so when you have the physical book, it's so different than just reading it on the computer. You know, it actually feels like it's something solid and, and it's mine, you know. So, yeah, definitely. And it's a limited edition, so they, you know, get that. And uh, it'll be personally signed by me, and um, you'll get your bonus session, too. Yeah, that's amazing. It's a wonderful thing. And, and uh, I felt the same way about my book. And, and the next step is putting it on Audible. And Paley and I put my book on Audible, and I was listening to it in the car the other day, and I'm like, wow, that was really incredible because it's not just about the story of the scam. It's about my life and the transitions. And a lot of the things that you said in your in your book – I said in my book, and I'm thinking, we are these kindred spirits. We have the same thoughts about, you know, when we were younger, not not being pretty enough, smart enough, all those enough mm-hmm. things. And then being married, you know, I love the part where you said that you and your husband were like roommates. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I felt that same way. And I put that in my book, that after 15, 20 years, you know, you're in the same house, but you're roommates in the house. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, this woman is... She's my sister by another mister. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I loved Absolutely. it. And I just love how you've transitioned in your life. And, you, you know, we all get stuck. And, and, you know, being freed from a job, being laid off or whatever we're going to call it. I mean, I had it happen too. That kind of kicks you in the pants and sends you in a different direction. But that mm-hmm. new direction is where you needed to go. But we mm-hmm. never would have left the comfort, if we called it that, the security of what we had to move forward right. to the false security really it's a false it security is. because you're not really you're not really we're not we're, we're here to 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 love and to enjoy we're not here to get up in the morning go to work come home go to bed get up in the morning go to work come home go to bed yeah we're here to love and enjoy and if you're thinking that you know where you are is secure ask yourself again and, and you you brought that up when you said your coach asked you, you know, what would happen if you didn't do this? And I wanted to just throw this in there real quick. If you're questioning whether to do something or not, I ask myself three questions. Is it something that will kill me? 100% definitely kill me. There's still, you know, a chance that you jump out of a plane, you're not going to get killed because you have a parachute. But (laughs) is it going to kill me to do this? What would my life look like if I didn't do this? And what would my life look like if I did do this? Great and question. Yeah, be truthful and honest and then decide whether or not you want to do the thing that you're thinking about doing. And put yourself around people that will support you and not the yeah. naysayers because I loved how you put it at one point where, you know, your family wasn't, how, where was it? I have it. I have it here. About how, uh, shoot, you can probably... My family isn't judging me. They just don't get me. Right. That's true about friends. Our friends, which yeah. we think they're judging us and they're leaving us, they just don't get who we are sometimes. And the direction we're going in, 
is not the direction that they want to go in or they don't want to go with us and they don't see mm -hmm. that but it, you know what like you said this is our life this is this is yeah our purpose our passion and sometimes we've got to do it not sometimes all we've got to do it for us yeah in the end it's it's you know not selfish it's it's beneficial for everybody in the end exactly because we become better people yeah we become better people from what we've done and absolutely um, I'm so excited that we had this talk, and I, you know, I usually bring Dr. Tim McGinnis, the founder of SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, onto the show, and I think, I just texted Tim, I said, I think Sandra and I <laughs> kept on chatting, Tim, um, and I know he, you know he always wants to come in because so many of the things that we talk about in the show are applicable to the women that we deal with in SCARS that have had a relationship fraud, scam, and whatever, but in this particular story that we've talked about in, our, in your life, in my life, this applies to every one of us, regardless mm -hmm. of what we've been through. You know, we have the choice to stay where we are in that dark place or to move on and make something positive out of that thing that happened to us slash for us. And in your case, it was the cancer. In your case, it was the job, um, being let go at corporate, having the was been, all those experiences. You know, what a great life if we can mm -hmm. look at it po positively and appreciate all those little, you know, the I call them our little qu pieces of our quilt, our quilted life. Um, right. I look at your picture and the smile and your hair. And I didn't know that you'd have the cancer and that you'd lost your hair. And I'm looking at the pictures I, I have of you and you've got this gorgeous head of hair and <laughs> a big smile on your face. And who would have known? You know, so thank you so much for sharing your story, for standing up, for speaking up, for finding your power again. And again, folks, if you want to get a hold of, of Sandra Noon, she's at growingwithsandra.com uh, go and sign up for her class growingwithsandra.com slash master and then her book you can get at growingwithsandra.com forward slash about dash Sandra the book with a picture one-on-one -on -one bonus um, I encourage you to do so Sandra last word what would you like to say to everybody today I would like to share with everybody that um, one of one of my favorite most favorite quotes um, because I know it's not easy sometimes when you want to make a change whether it's little or or big and Martin Luther King I think put it best you don't have to see the whole staircase just take the first step perfect perfect and the uh, first step and don't don't worry about anything else because that will all unfold in its own time when you're ready for that next step. Perfect. Well, that's even though those of us that live in one-story houses, there's a little step coming into the house. So, that's Sandra, nice. thank you so much for, uh, for all you've done and for what you're doing now and for the transitions you've made in your life and the women and men that you're affecting. Uh, we really appreciate you being here on Stand Up and Speak Up today. So thanks very much. And we're going to close it up today, everybody. We're dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self, always. We didn't talk about this much today, but if you've been a victim of a scam or, or some sort of cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about your options and recovery. 
SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami. I'm on the board. We worked around the world with people that have been scammed, and we really are looking forward to helping you if you need that help. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles and numbness in their hands and feet, check out our Benfodeming products at BenfoComplete.com and use the special code STANDUP for a 5% discount on your purchase. Again, everybody, thank you so much for being here. Go to my website, TheWomanBehindTheSmiled.com for additional information and resources. Join our Facebook group. Check us all out. We're here for you. And uh, again, Sandra, thanks so much for being with me today. I really appreciate you. Uh, Stay warm, stay healthy, and everybody out there, have a great week. We'll be with you all next week. Thanks.